0: came to be with them and suddenly Paul, uh, Peter reverted back and he completely separated himself from these Gentile Christians and he went, he wouldn't eat with them, he wouldn't eat what they were eating, he wouldn't partake of the Lord's Supper with them. He was thus saying, I am not in covenant with you because you are not saved, because you have not become a Jew first so that then you could become a Christian. This upset Paul. He went buck wild on him. He stands up in front of everybody and begins to point out, Peter, you believe this, you have lived this, you had this vision from God in Acts 10 and 11 and all three, I mean, he just goes off on on Peter in front of everybody. To make matters worse, all of the Jewish Christians in the, in this church were following along, including Paul's best friend, Barnabas, who had literally recruited Paul to come to the city, or they're in Antioch at this moment, he had recruited Paul to come to the city and preach this gospel, the gospel of faith, salvation through grace, by faith, through, uh, through faith, yes, by faith and grace, he had recruited him to come preach this gospel, and now Barnabas was even turning against it. Paul just, he can't take it. He just has enough. So in verse 17, he's still talking to Peter and he is driving his point home. Remember, he's doing this publicly. He is telling Peter, quite, pro, quite possibly the most, um, the highest ranking apostle or the most well-known apostle, the leader of the church in this day. Paul wasn't at this point when this event happened. He wasn't the great apostle Paul yet. He was still working his way up the ladder. And, and yet Peter was at the top. And he points him right in the face in front of everybody and tells him this stuff. Wow. What a moment to be a fly on the wall in, the, in, that, in that day. So he says, but if we, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we also ourselves are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. Certainly not. One of the objections that these certain men that came from James or from Jerusalem would, that Paul knew that they would have was that if, if we are made right by faith in Jesus, if we still struggled with sin, then it wasn't real enough. It was like, okay, I'll give you that Jesus did this thing, but if you still struggle with sin in your life, then Jesus didn't quite do enough. It wasn't quite enough. How could they have the accepted by God issue settled if they still battled sin? Well, how many of you know that Paul, throughout his gospel, understood that we all battle sin, yet we have the power to overcome? And so us battling sin doesn't mean that Christ died in vain, but for these men, it did. Because if you even remotely battled with sin, then Jesus didn't do enough for you. And they're thinking, this made Christ a minister of sin because it made them right, but not right enough. So in in their minds, when Jesus was on the earth, he's preaching a message, I I have come, I'm going to die for you, I'm going to bring in an age of grace. Uh, you're going to be under the, 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 uh, under grace and not under the law anymore. And in, in, in at odds with Jesus were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and this belief that you had to do everything exactly according to the law so that you could be righteous. Righteous according to the law. This is what Jesus was battling. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to die for all that. I'm going to be the lamb. I'm going to be the spotless lamb, the sacrifice. And I'm going to usher in the age of grace. It's going to be awesome. So this is what is at odds. Paul deals with a little bit different issue. Because in this subject, in this, in this uh, passage, he's speaking to the Galatians and also referring to these other Christians who, who had this thinking where it wasn't that you're saved by works, nor was it that you're saved by grace through faith, but it was actually faith plus works. So... These guys had it in their mind now that it's not one or the other. It's no longer this way or this way. You have to now put them both together in order to be saved. Now we're in quite a quandary. Christ went to the cross to deliver us from the law, and yet they're saying, no, 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 we still need the law. We need them both. Because Christ on the cross didn't do enough, we need the law as well to go ahead and put us over the top. Are you with me? Paul cannot handle this. He he, he doesn't understand. He knew that that we are justified by Christ. And yet we're still sinners. He acknowledged that we still sin. Even though we stand justified by our Savior. And that doesn't mean that Jesus is the author or approver of sin in our life. Just because we can sin. Doesn't mean that God approves of us sinning. But neither does that mean that Christ was the author or the minister of sin. So Paul is just, he's taken back by this. Luther, Martin Luther said it like this. A Christian is not somebody who has no sin, but somebody against whom God no longer chalks sin because of his faith in Christ. So here's what he's saying. A Christian means it's not that you never, no longer have to deal with sin in your life. It's just that God isn't holding you accountable for it because his blood has already covered it. This is challenging the thinking of both the Galatians, Peter, and all the men involved. Verse 18. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. What is he referring to here? Again, he's referring to the law. So he's saying, if we build again a way to God through keeping the law of Moses, then we would make ourselves a transgressor. If we said, thank you, Lord, you destroyed the law, but we're going to build it back up. We are actually sinning more than just trying to live our Christian life and the sin that goes along with it. There is more sin, he, he is saying, in, in trying to find acceptance before God by our, by our law keeping than, than there is in sin in everyday life of a Christian. They thought we have to, have to hang on the law so there won't be so much sin. And Paul is saying, guys, a lot of sin or a little sin still requires Christ. You can be a horrible sinner, or you can be a baby sinner, and you still need the grace of God. And that's what Paul's message was. So we can try to keep out as much as we can, but we're all still going to be sinners, whether you're sinning by trying to build the same bridge that we just, that Christ died to destroy, or if you're sinning by just trying to do your best to live for God uh, under, the, under the age of grace. And Paul said, either way, you still need the same grace. You still need the blood of Jesus. How is this a sin? How, 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 is it being, how is it a sin to try to rebuild this thing? Because for Paul, it's like looking at Jesus, hanging on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserved, bearing the wrath of God for us, and saying to Jesus, that's all very nice, but it isn't enough. Your work on the cross won't be good enough before God until I'm circumcised and I eat kosher meals then your work would be enough, Jesus. But I have to help you. And Paul is saying, what are you doing? This is the Son of God that hung on a cross for you. He, did, he paid it all. It was enough. Just one drop of his blood would have been more than enough to cover all of your sins. But, but you are saying to him, no, it's not enough. You need me to help you over the top. This is the great tragedy of legalism. Uh, in trying to be more right with God, we end up being less right with God. Verse 19, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God and I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. If Paul's relationship with the law has now changed, you, you must remember that Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He kept the law as good as a man could keep the law. He, he, he was nigh unto perfect in keeping the laws. As good as you could do it, he did it, but it still wasn't enough. And he thought that his law keeping would be enough to account righteousness to him, but it wouldn't work for him. So he said, I died to the law. There is, I realized, I recognized that the law can't save me. And so it might, as, it might as well be dead to me because it can't help me. And that's what he's saying. But I want you to notice, he didn't say the law was dead. He said, I died to the law. The law reflects in its context the holy heart and character of God. There was nothing wrong with the law. The law didn't need to necessarily go away because it reflects the character of God. Remember that God wrote the law. Remember the first time Moses went up to the, to the, on top of the mountains? Who wrote on the tablets? God did, Right? Came down, Moses broke them, he goes back up, he had to write them the second time. Do you remember that? This wasn't something that man made up for God. This wasn't a bad idea. This reflects the very heart of God. So Paul is saying, listen, we, we need the law. We need to understand the heart of God. We need to put these things in motion. It's why the Ten Commandments are so important to us. It's why we live by so many of these, uh, the, the spirit of these laws. But at the same time, the laws cannot save us, so I died to them. Does Paul still keep many of the laws? Of course he does. Paul doesn't suddenly go out on one hand preaching Christ, on the next hand committing murder and adultery. No, because these laws reflect the heart of God. So the law didn't die, but he died to the law because the law couldn't save him. He had thought that God would accept him because of his law keeping, but he came to the point where he really understood the law and realized that the law made him guilty before God, not justified before God. So he died to the law or renounced it or was freed from its dominion. And he's saying to these Galatians, you need to be free from the dominion, from the power of the law that's trying to hold you and bind you because all the law will do for you if you become a slave to the law is it will convict you and find you guilty. You can't keep them all perfectly. Paul died to the law so that he could live to God and was crucified with Christ. When did you die to the law, Paul? Imagine this conversation going on that day. Paul, when did you die to the law? How did you die? You sure look alive to me. You're standing right here yelling at all of us, embarrassing us in front of everybody. How is it that you died to the law? And Paul says, listen, when Christ was hung on the cross, I was there with him. Because remember, Paul recognized this thing. Paul recognized this great exchange that took place on the cross. This, this exchange where God, Christ took on my life and I took on his life. He took my place and I took his place. So when Christ was hanging up there on the cross, in Paul's mind, it was as if he himself was hanging on the cross. Because it was his sin. Because it was it was his burden, and so he said, "I I died to the law on the Christ. I gave him my try to be right before God by the law life, and he gave me his life and life more abundantly. That's what he gave me. So Jesus gave Paul his life to live. Paul understood this. No longer is it I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, in this reflected the heart of Paul. Are you guys out there tonight? Okay, just making sure. You see the heart of Paul reflected in this. I gave Jesus my life, and he died on the Calvary. And then he gave me his life. But now, it's not my life. I am just a steward or a manager of his life that he gave to me. So now, I don't just live my life any way I want to, because I am living Christ's life out in the world. So this, is, this is changes the way that people think about it. This changed, this changed the way that people were trying to follow Christ at the time. Was, wow, wait a second. Christ, if he took my life and I took his, then it's not just mine to live it any way I want to, but I've got to do it the best way I can to, to, to manage my... Whoa, what are we doing here? To manage the life that Christ gave me, and you can't manage this new life on the foundation of law-keeping. You just can't do it. It must be managed on the foundation of faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His faith is not in himself or how well he could keep the law. His faith was in Christ. Paul knew he could keep the law, but he also knew that wouldn't get him there. So he gave up faith in the law and he said, i got to have faith in somebody who can get me there. And the only person who that is, is Christ. So I have faith in Christ. Notice he said... Uh, Christ loved him who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ proved his love for us on the cross. And this is interesting because Paul had lived his life for the law. He had given everything to studying the law, learning the law, living for the law, persecuting Christians because of the law. He had given it all to them. But what he realized and what he's saying to us in this verse is, the law never loved me back. The law never did anything for me. And the law never will. Because the law can't. Who loved me? Christ loved me. How do we know? Because Christ actually did something for me. He gave his life for me. So Paul says, guys, don't don't be living your life. Don't be trying to follow something and make something work as if the law loved you and the law didn't love you. Christ loved you. Christ loved him and proved it. The law would only try to condemn, but Jesus gave his life. So he concludes this segment with his final statement. Again, remember, he's looking into the eyes of Peter, the biggest man in the church. He's looking at Barnabas, his best friend in the whole world at this point in his life, who's called him to Antioch to build this church, to preach this gospel. And he looks them in the eyes, these these certain men who apparently had the power to destroy people's ministries in that day. And he looks them in the eyes and he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Here's what he's saying. It's the conclusion. For Jewish men, or any men for that matter to require themselves or other people to live under the law of Moses, to be right with God, is to set aside the grace of God. It's just to say, we don't need you here. And it's saying to Jesus, I know you died. I know you went to the cross. I know you went to the whipping post. I know that you shed your blood for us. But really, we don't even need that. We're going to set you aside and allow all your pain, all of your sacrifice to be in vain, and we're going to go back to our way, the law. Paul said, No, I can't do that. I want you to flip over to Matthew chapter 26 with me really quickly, and I want you to understand why Paul knew why he could say this with confidence. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39 this is Jesus praying in the garden. This is, he is, within just a few moments or a few hours, he's about to be arrested. Now, understand, he's already. Partaken of the Lord's Supper. He's already taken communion with his disciples. He's already said, my body's going to be broken. I'm going to shed my blood of the new covenant. He's already done all that stuff. He's standing there. There is nothing else to do except for go to the cross. And he said to Jesus, and Jesus praised to God in verse 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying. I want you to notice he fell on his face. He didn't just stand there and make a little request from God. He fell on his face in, in, in complete laying it all out there before God. Lord, I've got nowhere else to go. There's nothing else to do. This is the moment. And he, it's as if he is begging God. Knowing what's coming, he's begging God. Listen to what he says. Oh, my father, if it is possible... If there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away. And prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this, cannot, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Here's what you got to understand. Here's what Paul knew about Jesus. If there were any other way, he was begging God to take it. But Jesus had to drink the cup because there was no other way. And now Paul is coming back and he's saying, guys, don't make his suffering be in vain. He already went down this road. He's saying to them, do you believe in Christ? Yes. Do you believe that he was the son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he spoke to the father? Yes. Remember, these are supposed Christians. These aren't Uh, Jewish religious leaders that are still rejecting and persecuting Christians. That's not who he's talking to. He's talking to Christians. And he's saying, do you believe in Christ as the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe uh, that, that he could speak to the Father? Yes. All of these things. Then you've got to know that when he said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, and he still had to drink the cup, you've got to know that this was the only way to be, have righteousness accounted to you. And it cannot come through the law. Wow. Paul is just begging them to understand. Jesus wasn't spared because there was no other way. If the only way to pacify God was by the death of his son, what good are our works anyway? How can we buy for a penny what is worth a million dollars? Our works wouldn't do any good anyway. If we require the law to be kept, this is is what Paul is saying. If you require the law to be kept, you're saying a couple of things. First of all, you're saying that Moses is your Savior. The the law that, that came through Moses, the laws of Moses, you're saying that he's your Savior. You can be saved if you do it his way, not through Christ's way. You believe Christ to be the Son of God. You believe Jesus to be the Son of God, but his way can't save you. So your Savior then is Moses. Not only that, you're saying you're your own Savior. I can do it because... I can get there on my own. If I work the laws, then I am my own Savior and I don't need Jesus anyway. And Paul is saying his suffering was in vain. In exasperation, as he concludes, we have a chapter here, but remember this is a letter, just one long letter that Paul is writing. So he concludes this portion of the letter by saying, don't let Jesus' suffering be in vain. Don't let his blood be shed in vain. Don't let this happen, but believe in him. He's talking about his experiences. Now he's going to shift, and he's going to talk about, in chapter 3, the Galatians experience. We're going to read first nine verses. We'll go through really quickly, and then we'll uh, be done for the evening. Are you all out there? Are you hearing the heart of Paul as as he talks and as he's preaching? And as he just, you understand when you look at it through these eyes, you understand why he could not take it when these men were trying to say you had to live according to the law and so that you could then be saved. He can't take it. Watch what he says in verse 1 Oh, foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Now, he's going to be a little shift here. He's been telling his own story. He's been sharing his own heart. Now he's going to shift. And, and just in this couple of verse, in this first verse, verse, in a couple of words here, you're going to see uh, some power picture, powerful pictures that he's painting to, to these Galatians. Because now he's going to talk about them. When he says, oh foolish Galatians, the word foolish here, does not mean that they're idiots. It's not when when Jesus called people fools, he used a different Greek word. Uh, But when Paul uses this word foolish here, it's the Greek word anoetos, anoetos, and it literally translates to mean that you can think, but you fail to use your power of perception. So when Paul says, oh foolish Galatians, he's not saying that You're so foolish, you don't even know how to think, you don't even know how to use your brain, you don't even have knowledge. No, no, Paul is saying this, you can think, you can reason, you do know this stuff, you just refuse to actually use your brain. That's what he's saying. My daughter is brilliant. She's uh, just turned eight years old the Saturday before Easter. She's way too smart for her own good. I don't know what to do with her. She's just too smart for her own good. She's reading way, way above her grade level. When she wants to, she can, she can just amaze you with how smart she is. But she's also lazy as the day is long. And if you let her, she will wind and carry on until you think for because she's happy just to let other somebody else think for. She can do it, but like the Galatians at times, she's very foolish Because if you'll let her, she'll just believe anything and she'll just let you do it for her. And it drives me crazy. You know this. We're studying for a test last night. You know this. You just answered this question. But I don't know it, Dad. You're going to have to tell me the answer. No, I'm not. Who's going to tell you the answer on the test tomorrow? And this is the way the Galatians were. They knew how to think. They had the power of perception uh, to perceive. They, they, they knew how to think for themselves. They knew the truth, but they weren't obeying it. Now watch, he says, Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Bewitched. It's an interesting term. The only time I ever hear this term used was, was the old bewitched show so I never thought, you know, I thought, okay, it has to do with magic and witches, then therefore uh, you won't hear it in the Bible. No, Paul says, who has bewitched you? Well, we got to look at what he's referring to here. Bewitched was a Greek word used to refer to a spell cast that would be cast upon people by using an evil eye, an evil eye. And so what would happen is uh, well, for instance, it was thought that the way a serpent would work, when a serpent would hypnotize its prey by looking them in the eyes, and when its prey looked the serpent in the eyes, you've seen in uh, you know, the King Cobra when he does the dance, he's hypnotizing its prey so then he can strike and take you out. Are you with me? That's believed to be the evil eye. And so here's what he's saying, that, that who has bewitched you, when, when a victim looked into the evil eye, then you could cast a spell on you, you could defeat the enemy, with your, your prey or your victim with no problem. So here's what Paul is saying, that the way to overcome the evil eye, and this is what the Greeks understood, the way to over the, overcome the evil eye in quotations was simply to not look at it. So the question then becomes, who are you looking at Galatians that is causing you to stop using your power of perception your knowledge uh, that you have already attained to be hypnotized as prey for the enemy who has bewitched you whose eyes have you been looking into that have got you hypnotized so now they're stealing away from you stealing from you, stealing your salvation stealing your faith, stealing your understanding, stealing your life and you don't even know it Because you're looking into the eyes of the wrong person. Like looking in the eyes of a serpent. He's hypnotizing you. But the only reason he's hypnotizing you is so that he can strike and take you out. You're his prey. And so Paul paints this picture here. Who has bewitched you? Who are you looking at? Who are you listening to? Because you quit listening to me. I was telling you the truth. When I came through and preached for you, I was telling you the truth. You knew the truth. You had this all underst- understood, but you have looked into the eyes of the wrong person. And because of that, you were set up to fall. Who are we looking at? Are we looking into the eyes of the, uh, uh, that will devour us like the serpent? Or are we looking at the one who will save us? Are we looking into the eyes of Christ? I'm going to move forward here, running out of time. Verse 2. This I want to know for you. This is what he says. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Notice that Spirit there is capitalized. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. uh, The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues. uh, All these things. Did you receive these things by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you get them? uh and so their question of their answer, of course, is faith they didn 't receive these because they were so good they received them by faith they they believed, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, and they received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, watch, Paul has just taken this thing from being more than just salvation okay now we're going he's going to take us on a journey in these next few verses because w- He's got us convinced, or at least he's got me convinced, and I hope you as well at this point, that uh, works can't save us, that we have to have faith in order to be saved. But now he's going to take it further. He says, not only were you saved by faith, but how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Answer? By faith. faith. So he's going to take us on this journey. He takes the next step because he wants us to know it's not just All about salvation. There's more to this deal. And you still need faith. So he's taking us on the journey. You didn't earn the gift. But it was freely given. As evidenced in Luke chapter 11. So if it began as a work of the spirit. Are you now being made perfect by, by the flesh? They were deceived into thinking that spiritual growth or maturity. Could be achieved through the works of the flesh. You received by faith. But now you're thinking, okay, so we got saved by faith to some degree, but then we uh, received by faith the work of the Holy Spirit, but now we're saying that we can grow uh, spiritually and mature spiritually by works of the law. And he's saying, guys, you're, 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 you're going backwards. You're on the right track, you're on the right track, and then you turn around and go the wrong way. And he's saying, no, no, stay on track with me. Your salvation by faith, you receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit by faith, And also you grow spiritually and mature spiritually by faith. He's following along this track. Because the principle of the law uh, says that you are blessed and grow by earning and deserving. These are the words that relate to the law. You earn it, thus you deserve it. But the grace says you receive blessings and you grow by believing and receiving. You can't earn it and you don't deserve it. So all you can do is just believe and then receive. And this is, this is when the, the grace and the law are at, are at odds. So how do, you, how do you feel that God wants to bless you then? By works or faith? I believe he wants to do it by faith. And that's what Paul is saying. The devil can't stop us from being saved by faith. So Paul is warning us, don't let him try to hinder your blessing and your growth and your maturity by faith. He says, okay, you've got the faith deal. Fine. I can't get back in there. I don't think anybody in the room is debating on becoming a a Jew, an Orthodox Jew and living that whole deal. Is anybody in here debating that? No, I didn't think so. So here's what Paul is saying. You've got that one covered. Good. Don't get caught up in the eyes of the serpent looking into the evil eye while he's taking out and cutting your legs off from under you and stealing your blessing from you, stealing the Holy Spirit, stealing the gifts from you because you're thinking that those come by works. You can't do enough to earn those. Think about it. You can't live perfectly enough to have the gift of the working of miracles working through you. You can't do it. You can try as hard as you can. But the only way you get it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that's given freely. So he, so he gives these gifts. Discernment, wisdom, knowledge, uh, words of knowledge, all these things. Prophecy, healing, working of miracles, faith. All these gifts. You can't do things right enough to deserve them. You don't deserve them. But he gave them anyway. So don't let the devil sneak in there and cut you off. Paul is, he's exhorting us, don't let this happen to you. Then he says in verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So now he says, listen guys, we talked about Jesus suffering in vain, but don't let yourself suffer in vain. See, when Paul was in Galatia, he had a lot of uh, persecution that went on to himself personally if you go back to acts the i believe the 16th chapter or so the 16th chapter where paul was stoned and left for dead do you remember that they thought he was dead so they left him that was in a city in galatia so paul is saying listen i suffered there and while i was preaching and they were persecuting me they were persecuting you too you went through pain, you went through suffering for the message of faith and grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You went through all that stuff. Don't get called up. Remember, you're look, whose eyes are you looking into that you know they're, they're going to come after you, but you got called up and you're hypnotized and in the process you're giving over in vain all that you've already fought for. Don't give it up. Uh. You fought the devil for this revelation. Don't just willingly give up on it. Don't let the, the serpent, don't let the devil hypnotize you. Now, he makes one final shift. We've got five minutes and we're coming to a close. Therefore, he's who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Question, answer is by faith. Just as Abraham, and he's going to quote now from Genesis, believed God and it was accounted to him for Righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are faith who are of faith are sons of Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, "And all, in, in you all the nations shall be blessed, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now, Abraham believed God. Paul brings up Abraham because for Jews, uh, they they, um, felt like they were a little bit better than everyone else because they came from the lineage of Abraham. If, if, If I was a Jewish Christian and you were a Gentile Christian, I had it in my mind that I'm a little bit better than you because I came from the direct lineage of Abraham and you didn't they claimed Abraham as their ancestor and uh, this hugely important being, which he was. The Bible says he believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. This was the perfect example for Paul to use. I want you to note, the Bible didn't say that Abraham believed in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. We'll put up verse six for me. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. you got to know something. It is not enough just to believe in God. It's not enough. If it were, Moses would have written in, in the book of Genesis, and Paul would have quoted that Abraham believed in God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It is, a not, an, it is not enough just to believe in God. Even the demons believed in God. But Abraham believed God. He believed what he said. He believed that God would save. He believed that God would rescue. He believed that God would empower him to overcome. He believed that God would, give him, would, would fulfill the promises that he said for him. Abraham believed God. Whatever God says, yeah, I believe that. Well, God says, oh, no, no, I believe that. Did God say it? Yes, I believe. We have to get this kind of faith in us. Think about the faith that Abraham said as he's leaving, uh, worshiping all these moon gods and <clears throat> all these other gods and he's, and he's leaving his whole, he, he decided whatever God says, I'm gonna believe that. I'm 100 years old, I've never had a son, and, but God says I'm gonna be the father of nations. I believe that. My wife is 99. I believe it. There's no way, Abraham. No, I believe God. Your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. Yeah, I know. I believe that. Moses, uh, Abraham, you're crazy. <laughs> I know, but I believe God. Do we have that kind of faith where God says whatever he wants and we say, okay, I believe that. God said it. I believe it. Or do we, are we always trying to qualify it and quantify it and make sure? It, no, no. God said it. Therefore, I believe it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, but I believe it because God said it. This is the, this is the magnitude of the faith that God that Abraham had. And because of this much faith that he had in God, that God would save him, God did. It was accounted unto him as righteousness. What, he, what God is saying here is that literally Abraham's account, like a bank account, was in the negative. But God took righteousness, his own righteousness, out of his bank account, and he put it into the bank account of Abraham. He said, Abraham, there's nobody else that can save you, but I've got enough for both of us. So I'm going to take my righteousness and put it into your account so it's accounted unto you and it looks as if you're righteous. You're not righteous, but because I put my righteousness in your account, you are now righteous. And this is what God has done for us. When we believe God, when we believe in him, when when we uh, come to him through faith and and grace and and believing, he says, you know what? You don't have enough righteousness. You've been trying hard. I appreciate that. I love you for it. But you know what? You can't do it on your own. So let me take some of my righteousness out of my account because my account, your account has a number on it, 3,000, 2,000, negative 400, whatever your bank account says right now. God's account has a symbol. It looks like a sideways eight. And it means infinity. Because God's account never runs out. And so he's looking at us and saying, how much do you need? Oh, yeah, yeah, here you go. Here's enough, Pfft. There's enough righteousness for you. Oh, you need some more? Here's some, here's some righteousness for you. Oh, your, your, your husband now is coming to me and he wants to believe on me. Good, I've got enough righteousness for him. Oh, your kids want to believe in me. Well, I'm not running out. There's plenty more where that came from. Here's some more righteousness for them. And now his righteousness is accounted unto us. And this is what Christ does for us. This is what God does for us, what Christ did for us on the cross. Aren't you happy for that? Notice what he says. For another day, I want you to go back and study what he says in verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, preached the gospel to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Watch this. Paul personifies the scripture. Because he said, whatever the scripture said, that's what God spoke. Remember in John chapter 1, verse 1, And the word was God. For Paul, it was a person, and the scripture wasn't just old writings, it was a person who spoke it and prophesied it, and watch what he prophesied. In you, speaking to Abraham, all the nations shall be blessed. How many nations? Has the law been given at this point? No. At this point, there is not even a Hebrew nation yet. It's still in the works with Abraham. And yet Scripture declares, prophesies, and tells us that he gives us a glimpse into God's plan before there was Judaism, before there was Israel, before there were Hebrews, before there were Jews, before all of that, here is God's plan. That through you, Abraham, all nations shall be blessed. So here's what Paul says. You're getting this thing mixed up and thinking it's about the law. I'm going to take you back before the law. Before there was the law of Moses, God said. Because remember, the word was God. When scripture spoke, it was God speaking in Paul's mind. Watch this. Before all of that, if you think the law is the end all and it was the beginning, I'm going to take you back even further to your father Abraham. And I'm going to let you know that his plan was to save all nations through faith. This messed with their thinking. This, this, this just really uh, bothered so many of them. Because they believed. Uh, many rabbis actually taught. That Abraham stood at the gates of hell. And would and would watch. To make sure that none of his descendants. Would slip through and make it into hell. That he could save them out first. So here, here's what Paul is saying. The problem is. If Abraham is standing there at the gates of hell, making sure his descendants don't fall into hell, he's not looking for his genetic, uh, your, his, his downline for, for just Jews. Just because you're a Jew, Abraham's going to save you and make sure you don't fall through. He's saying the real sons of Abraham that he's watching and waiting for are that because of faith. Watch. Therefore, that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So what you thought set you apart and made you better, you were totally wrong. Because the link to Abraham has nothing to do with your genealogy, with genetics, with works, but it is only through faith. I have no idea. I have no reason to believe that Abraham is standing there at the gates of hell? I don't know. The rabbis taught it, but when Paul writes this, he is letting them know. If that's what you believe, maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. I'll find out one day. I don't know. But if that's what you believe, you better have faith because that's what's going to connect you to be a son of Abraham, not just because you're a Jew. And then he ties it to one final thing. So then, in verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed with believing abraham paul ties it all, wraps it all up in a big bow right here and he says i want you to have all the blessings of abraham and the way you receive them is not through doing things according to the law but you do them by faith you live by faith you believe in god by faith and then you're a son of abraham And then, you can receive the blessings of Abraham. Wow! So for Paul, it starts with salvation, but then it goes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then it goes to our blessing. Wow! Okay, we none of us are going back to Judaism. None of us are, are going back to doing trying to live up to all those laws. But Paul said, it's not just about salvation. If you want to see receive the blessings of Abraham, if you want to see receive the Holy Spirit, if you want to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all this stuff, it all comes through faith. Amen.